Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Amen. Um, so yeah, we are continuing our sermon series this week on humility. It's looking at humility from a number of different angles. And I want to talk to you today about the place of prayer and worship when it comes to humility. I don't know if you've ever had like a massive humbling experience before where you've just been like, oh, that was quite a humbling experience. I feel like having children is a humbling experience. And having pets, particularly dogs, is a humbling experience. Children, in some ways, because they just do all kinds of stuff, not thinking about the the consequences. And I've got to be careful, because I've got some of my own children around, so I've got to be a little bit careful with this. But I remember, uh, well, even on Friday, we went out on Friday. Hannah was uh, working, so I was um, looking after the kids. And uh, I was pretty pleased with myself. I invented this, this thing called Four Meal Friday. Four Meal Friday where we decided we'd go around different places in Preston and uh, get some food, try it, and then go on to the next, next place. We had 20 pounds, so our challenge was to buy as much food as we could in as many places as possible with 20 quid. Um, but after the first place, the first place we went to was an Indian, and I got like a spicy nanwich, which is basically like a nan, like wrapped like around kebab meat. I mean, doesn't that sound like the best idea ever? And I can guarantee it was. I got the spiced doner meat. So I had a bit, and then one of my children, I'm not going to name them, I'm not going to name them. One of them had a bit, the, the smallest one, had a little bit, and it was too spicy for them. So then he was, I was walking up Fishergate Hill holding his hand, and he was just crying at the top of his lungs saying, I'm hungry, rubbing his belly at the same time. And I was like, oh man, this is a humbling experience. People are looking, thinking, should we intervene here? Like, is this like a child line type thing? Um, that was humbling. Also, another example of this was when we were flying back from the States. We were in San Francisco. You know, just drop that in there. You know, that's kind of how we roll. We were in San Fran a few years back, and we were flying from San Francisco to London uh, with, with a two-year-old, which is nuts. If you've ever done it, long-haul flight, some people are just like, I know, I know how that is. And uh, I had a particularly just energetic child uh, on, a, on a, like an overnight flight, and uh, we get in on the plane, and it's mad. I, I could go into the details. I had a migraine. I was out of it. <laughs> Hannah's wrestling five kids. Uh, yeah, it was 10 o'clock at night. We're trying, you know, a very hyperactive two-year-old who never sits still, and you've got to take off. So they have to sit in your lap for takeoff. We get into the air, but then as we're in the air, the energetic child stands on um, Hannah's lap and starts to grab the hair of the person in front and is just going for it. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What a humbling experience that was. It's really good for my sense of pride. And then dogs. What is it about dogs? Hannah, Hannah really wanted to get a dog. And now we do have this dog, which is part of our family. I do love the dog. But so often, the dog is a source of humility for me. We were on a walk a few weeks ago, um, uh, walking along the river to Waitrose with the seven of us, which is quite a sight to behold in and of itself. And the dog ran off ahead, down the path, and then we just heard it barking at something, and then we got around the corner, and the dog, the stupid dog, was just barking at this poor guy with a, with a little baby in like a sling. 
and the baby was asleep and the guy was just like, it's a harmless dog. It just, it, you know, it wouldn't do anything. It's one of those dogs, oh, it never, it never hurt anybody. You know, you get dog on, we're like that dog, on, oh, it never do anything. It just barks. Um, but, you know, if you're a stranger, you have no idea. <laughs> the dog's barking at this poor guy with the sling. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And again, it was another one of those humbling experiences. Children and dogs, children and dogs. There are other occasions we go through in life where, where, where we're humbled. And it might be that we find ourselves in a, in a tricky situation. Uh, and people perhaps have to come and bail us out. It might be friends, it might be family. And you find yourself in a situation where you're helpless and somebody has to come to help you. And again, that can be a, a really humbling experience as well. In this series, we're looking at humility. And humility is one of those things where if it's a virtue. And if you feel like you've grasped the virtue of humility, you've cracked it, it's probably a telltale sign that you haven't even begun to crack it at all. Uh, humility is one of those things that's often misunderstood. Sometimes it can almost feel a bit like weakness. But humility really is having a right perspective of ourselves, a right perspective of God, and a right perspective of our circumstances. It's not seeing ourselves as lowly or as or kind of like higher than we are. It's having a right perspective of ourselves, of God, of our circumstances. So this morning, I want to read to you a passage from Luke chapter 9. And this is a passage about uh, Jesus and the disciples. It's where Jesus goes up a mountain and he's, he's kind of, he's transfigured is the sort of theological word. He's changed, his likeness changes and the glory of the Lord kind of shines around, and they, the disciples, they see Jesus for who he is. And it's in that moment that all of the stuff, all of the problems that they might be carrying just disappear as they get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. So let me read this passage to you. It's from Luke chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 28. About eight days after, Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which, was about, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, Jesus' glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. 
Here's the big idea that I want you to get today. And the idea is this, that prayer and worship are a means to humility. As we lift up the name of Jesus, as we pray to him, as we talk to him, as we worship him, we are humbled. We have a a view of ourselves, of God, of our circumstances that is not too low or not too high. It's just right as we focus on Jesus in prayer and worship. When we enter into that relationship with the creator of the universe, we see him for who he is. And when we worship him, we see him for who he is. And we have that right perspective on our circumstances. In this passage, Jesus takes three of his disciples up the mountain. Now, Jesus, as you know, he had 12 disciples. But amongst those 12, he had three who he particularly invested in. And he takes them up the mountain. Uh, and in the, in the Bible, Going up a mountain for for prayer is always kind of synonymous with an encounter with the glory of the Lord. So Moses often would go up the mountain to talk to God. And once he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the mountain always signifies, it's like a symbol if you like, and today we can use it as a metaphor for pursuing a relationship with God, an encounter with God. God. That's what the mountain means. And I love that in verse 28, it said that they went up the mountain to pray. And what I learned from that particular verse is that there's an intentionality there. They didn't accidentally head up the mountain. They didn't head up the mountain without any purpose. No, they went up the mountain to pray. And that speaks to me because what, what I know I benefit from is this intentional choice to spend time with God. And I think we can all learn something of this in our prayer lives, that there's an intentionality we need to have, that we're called to have, to pursue Jesus intentionally. And this is something that we need to do day by day. I think the best time to do it is in the morning, just to get up the mountain, as it were, in the morning, to get into that place where you are with Jesus and you glimpse something of his glory. And then it goes on, doesn't it, in verse 29. As he was praying, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure. Uh, And then, this is interesting, isn't it? Verse 32. Peter And his companions were very sleepy. If you've ever felt sleepy in prayer before, you're in good company. Because that's how Peter and James and John felt. They were sleepy. Verse 32. uh, But when they became fully awake. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Isn't that an interesting? They see Jesus' face change before them. They glimpsed something of his glory. And it says, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And when I was reading this, preparing for this talk this week, I put myself, try and put myself in in the shoes of the disciples. They journeyed with Jesus for a little while by this point. They'd experienced 
He, they'd seen healings. They'd seen miraculous signs. They'd seen him calm the storm. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him teach. They'd experienced that, but they'd also experienced the pressures of ministry. They'd been sent out on, on mission and been rejected. They'd felt the rejection that Jesus faced as well. They'd felt the pressure of having to uh, being, you know, huge crowds where people were jostling for Jesus's attention, but some were also kind of verbally accusing him and attacking him and things like that. They were also carrying, we don't read about it, but they were carrying their own personal issues that we don't know about. There was a lot going on for the disciples at the bottom of the mountain. But then when they get into this mountaintop experience with Jesus. Do you know all of those problems, all of those pressures just fade away as they capture a glimpse of who Jesus is? How much are they thinking about their problems when they see the glory of Jesus? They're not there on the mountaintop thinking, wow, this is interesting. Jesus's face is like you know, as bright as lightning. And here's two Old Testament legends. Oh yeah, but what I'm really thinking about is, yeah, that health appointment I've got with the doctor on, on Tuesday morning. That's what I'm really thinking about. Or, or, when we, or when we go back down, there's gonna be loads. Of, they're not thinking about any of that stuff. The financial stuff they're dealing with, the kind of difficulties, the challenges of life. They're not thinking about any of that because they see Jesus. They're fully awake and when they're fully awake, they see something of his glory. And it's worth noting that they still have questions. They come down the mountain on the other side. James and John, who are there on the mountaintop, uh, just a couple of chapters later, they say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, when you're in heaven, can we sit at one at your left and one at your right? You know, can we have the best seats and be like the most powerful people in heaven? They don't completely get it after this point. They have the mountaintop experience, but then they still mess up. And Peter, not long after this, comes down the mountain and then starts rebuking Jesus for Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus says that he has to go to the cross and lay down his life. And Peter says, no, no, don't do that, Jesus. They don't get, it's not that they get absolutely everything after this moment, but in this moment, at the top of the mountain, they see Jesus for who he is. They get a right perspective on God, on themselves, on their circumstances. And I wanna say that that is possible for us today as well. And here's two ways that we can apply this passage to our own lives. Do you know what? I think there are two, two ways in which this passage can really speak to, speak to us today, speak to you right into your situation today. And here's, here's the first one. The first is in those times when we can say to ourselves, Ah, oh, that problem that I'm facing down at the bottom of the mountain that I'm facing today down here, it's too big to overcome. And we can often say that. That might be something in your, in your personal life. It might be your health. There might be a diagnosis from the doctor that just seems too big. People don't recover from this condition, they might have told you. People don't, things don't change when you have this illness. This situation that you're facing in, in, your, in your health isn't one that often gets changed very easily. There might be something in front of you that looks too big. It might be your finances. It might be challenges that you 
face financially and they just look too big. It might be in your relationship. It might be your marriage. Perhaps there's a sense of brokenness and a sense in which you cannot imagine a relationship, your marriage, whatever it is, being fixed. It just seems too big. That might be one of the problems that's kind of in your way today. Then there's also the, the other, the flip side of that. And it's when we believe that we're just too small and insignificant. And I don't know about you, but I so often think like this. I so often think, oh, I'm not sure I could really make a difference in that situation. I'm not sure my efforts could really change things. And you might be feeling like that today. Peter, James, and John were just ordinary fishermen. They weren't like super clever from the best family, uh, wealthy, or anything like that. No, they were just ordinary people like you and like me. But through them, through that mountaintop encounter with Jesus, when they glimpsed his glory, God changed their lives and used them to do incredible things. It might be something, some subconscious thought patterns that go on in your mind. You might be thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm too old for God to use me. Like I'm just, I'm just past it. And there's no way God could, could use me. Just as an aside, I was hearing this week some really interesting uh, statistics. Basically, your, did you know what your most productive, de- the most productive decade of your life is? The most productive decade of your life is between the years 60 and 70. It's interesting, isn't it? Do you know what the second most productive decade of your life is? The years between 70 and 80. And do you know what the third most productive decade of your life is between 50 and 60? So there's something about that that's just a real, there's a real lie that sometimes people disqualify themselves because they just say, I'm, I'm too old. I'm past it. But the Lord wants you to know today that you are still, you still have stuff to offer. You're still in the game. You're still being, can be used by God. You might be that you're too, you might be feeling too young. You might be feeling inadequate in that way. Oh, I'm too young. Nobody would ever listen to what I have to say. Nobody would uh, really give me a chance to, to kind of excel in that area. But actually in the Bible, what we see over and over again is God using people like King David, who when he was called by God was the youngest, smallest in his family. And God used him, made him into a king that he might uh, defeat Goliath and be a leader of God's people. Never let people disqualify you. Don't disqualify yourself because you think I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm just little old me, I can't do anything. Because God over and over again in scripture, we see God using people who feel inadequate to bring glory to his name. We see situations that look too big being overcome. God is a God who loves to take people and situations that look impossible or people that look weak or have counted themselves out. He loves to use them to bring glory to his name because what it proves is that it's all God. It's all God and if you feel like you can't change your circumstances or change your situation or you feel inadequate. Well, I'm here to tell you today that God is a God who wants to use you, who can change your circumstances. And it all starts when we get up the mountain. 
It all starts when we get up the mountain and we get a glimpse of who Jesus is and we become fully awake. And I think it talks about being fully awake is about being physically awake, yes, but it's also about being spiritually awake. And that happens when we get up the mountain and we have a glimpse of who Jesus is. And then all of a sudden, those problems that look too big or our sense of inadequacy because we've counted ourselves out, all of those things just, just disappear because we have a glimpse of who, who Jesus is. So how can we respond? Well, I want us to respond today perhaps by stepping up the mountain, as it were, stepping into God's presence and really just praying into this and just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to change you, to transform you. That as you get a glimpse of who Jesus is, that your circumstances or whatever it is, you get a glimpse of, of him and you see breakthrough even this morning. Can we believe that God is a God who wants to break into our lives and our situations and transform us even today? And it all starts with the, with the choice to get up the mountain. Do you know what? Jesus loves you so much that he would lay down his life on the cross. This is, this is the life that he has won for you. He's won a life not of endless defeat and uh, you, know, you just feeling inadequate. He's won a life for you where you can know breakthrough. You can know freedom. You can know closeness to God and his love for you. And it all starts with getting up that mountain. So shall we stand together? Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.